One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 157. Today, we're back with this month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and we are talking about Everybody Writes, your new and improved go-to guide to creating ridiculously good content by Anne Handley. Anne Hanley is one of the world's best marketers, authors, and copywriters, and this book is all about how to approach writing for your business. I loved this read. That probably won't come as a surprise as much as I love marketing and reading and writing, but I think there is so much gold in here, no matter what kind of business you have, that will help you figure out how to approach and create marketing content you're proud of. Now, before we get into the episode, if this is your first book club episode, let me explain. Once per month, my amazing book club co-host, Sherelle Griffith, and I discuss a book we think can help move the needle in your small business, and we'll share our key takeaways specifically for small businesses toward the end. So let's talk about Everybody Writes. In this book club episode, we talk about how to approach writing for marketing, grammar and words, how to find and establish your brand voice, the role of storytelling and marketing content, and much, much more. If you do any writing for your business at all, from website to product descriptions, to emails, to social media, or really anything else, this book is for you. Stay tuned through the end of the episode so that you don't miss the book that we announced is our selection for next month's Making Good Book Club. And just a quick reminder that if you want updates on Book Club, you can sign up to get notified at makinggoodpodcast.com slash book club. Okay, let's get into this month's book club episode all about Everybody Writes. Hello, Sherelle. Welcome back to Making Good Book Club. Hello, Lauren. Thank you for having me back. Happy New Year. This is our first book club episode of 2023, and I am super excited to get right back into it. We read Everybody Writes by Anne Handley. And I guess I just first of all want to know, like, What did you think of this book? What would you, how would you describe it? And what did you think of it? So that I'd had a lot of hype about this book is what I'm going to firstly start off with. So this actually is, we read the completely revised and expanded version, which is like hot off the press. So Mm -hmm. um, there has been lots of, um, lots of people, including Lauren who told me about it. So I think I did have quite a lot of hype about what it was going to do. I enjoyed it, some of it. Some of it I really struggled with, I'll be honest. As a whole, I think it's 
a great book basically for anyone who is trying to write online. So anyone that's writing any type of content. And I'm someone who says like writing is not my natural forte. And I don't consider myself to be a writer, even though my Grammarly would say otherwise, based on how many words I write a year. Um, So I think in terms of just like a mixture of practical like a lot of practical tips and actually of like just different things to be aware of when you're writing online mm-hmm. and it was a yeah. lot that's what I feel Lauren my, my big takeaway is it's actually like really bitty because she gives a lot but it's lots of little bitty chapters mm-hmm. and not my favorite type of th- it's not my favorite type of thing to read when they're like that yeah which is funny because on the other hand I really love like super I love that you just used the word like bitty um like I love the super detailed specific tips that you can just like go do right now um and I sometimes struggle with like the broader more like higher level stuff figuring out how to apply that really tactically so it's it's funny like what you kind of had a harder time with about it is what I actually probably like the most about it. I think one thing that's important to say about this book, if you have not read it, is that it's really specifically geared toward marketing writing. Oh, yeah. Um, I think a lot of the tips in the book are relevant no matter what kind of writing you're doing, like you're doing personal essays or, you know, I don't know, other kinds of nonfiction writing. A lot of the tips are going to help, but This book is for marketers, people writing content. Um, The subtitle of the book is your guide, something like your go-to guide for writing ridiculously good content. So just note that everything we're saying about writing, all the tips that we're going to be sharing and our takeaways from this book are very much about marketing writing. Mm -hmm. And that is a point that she makes is that's everything written for your brand. So that's like your website copy, your transaction emails, the social media content, your, your, their content that you think of as content, like blogs, podcasts, stuff like that. But it's also like every touch point with your brand is marketing writing that you should is worth paying attention to. I'm glad you mentioned that because when you first said like, this is a book for marketers, I'm like, there's lots of people that don't class themselves as marketers, even though they're doing the marketing for their own business. It's basically, if you write any word for your business, you need to read the book. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Great point. I think there were a few pieces of advice in the book that were like maybe a little bit less relevant to someone who is maybe a solopreneur or a one person shop, for example, like running every piece of content in your business past an editor yeah. may not be like <laughs> feasible for everyone. But by and large, I think almost everything in this book can be relevant to anyone listening who does any kind of marketing for their business, which um, I think is most people listening. So let's start by just kind of digging right in, I think, to the different parts of the book. Okay, so the first section of the book is start here. And this is before we jump into the six main kind of like content heavy parts of the book. And this is I, I would sort of class this as mindset, writing mindset advice. So, you know, she spent some time trying to convince everyone reading that, yes, you are a writer. Anyone who really does anything professionally uh, is a writer because you're communicating. So even if what you consider writing 
or what you consider the only writing you do to be like sending emails and communicating on Slack. She really wants you to think about that as writing and as an opportunity to communicate really clearly and efficiently and, um, you know, achieve what you're looking to do more effectively by writing, I guess, more intentionally. So yes, you are a writer. And then I would say the other big piece that I took away from this section was just a reminder that the way to get better at writing is to write over and over again. And I, I think this is a concept that's come up in a lot of the books that we've read on this pod, on this book club so far is just that like, you can't get better at things without doing them. And the willingness to put things out there over and over again and let let yourself get better little by little, I think is really powerful. She shares an example of like learning to do push-ups. And in the beginning, when she first started, she couldn't even believe that she'd ever be able to do one push-up. And then eventually she worked her way up to like 18 push-ups before she had some kind of energy or injury. So I think this reminder is made very strongly in the beginning of the book and throughout the book that like, really you just need to write. And I took that, like I needed that reminder. Um, maybe not with writing, but with other things you want to get good at, like you just have to kind of do it and put in the reps. So that's kind of the mindset framing that we start the book with. And then we have part one, writing rules, how to write better and then in brackets and how to hate writing less, which was a, t- a subtitle that I really appreciated mm-hmm. um, because and it it starts very much carrying on from what Lauren was talking about this idea of, like writing is a habit and this idea of like keeping a daily writing ritual like she's definitely someone I mean clearly Anne actually does write every single day but in, like she says you only get better by doing it so she really tries to encourage people to actually get into that habit of writing every single day. Um, One of my, the biggest takeaways from this book, um, this section, sorry, was introducing the writing GPS framework. So she has this 17 Mm -hmm. (laughs) point wheel that she goes through for when she's writing content. Um, And this is her, what she classes as navigate your way to ridiculously good content. And there was like three phases to it. So there was go, push and shine and she talks through like all of them and so that would be in the like ideal scenario but then there are some that are colored in to be like these are the ones that are absolutely like no matter what size you are a business whatever like you should do them and some of the other ones are like nice to have and it's quite it was quite eye-opening to me so like one of the things was definitely like do like a like write it everything down just like as it is and then like take a break and come back and edit it and like actually her views on the editing process is someone that's like half the time I think I just write things and then they just go out and like my editing is beyond minimal Mm -hmm. um eye-opening to being like how much she does in that like uh shine process of like just actually how much it takes to get a piece of writing ready to actually get out into the world yeah, I had a similar reaction. There's in this 17 step process, there's first draft, there's a second draft, there's a robot edit, human edit, read it out loud. Like there's a lot of reviewing steps that I agree with you that it's probably not feasible for most of us to go through every single one of these steps for every piece of like 
Well, I would say generally longer form content that we're going to put out there, but for maybe like the most important things, mm-hmm. it might be worth trying to do every single one of these steps. And at minimum, just, you know, she really makes the point of where the magic happens for her and her writing process is in the review and the edit. And that's something that like you, I also do not a ton of like I, it's a lot of first drafts for me that go out because I'm moving really fast. So that really was something that I'll probably think about trying to incorporate is at, at minimum trying to give myself a little bit of time between the time that I write it initially and I publish it so that I can like at least do like a cursory review. Um, yeah. And like the thing between like her drafts was this idea like walk away. And actually that I... Like I actually realized I could incorporate that a bit easier. Like I normally take a walk on my lunch and I was like, actually, even if some content, I was like, write it, go for my lunchtime walk and then come back and do that edit. Like actually that's only a small tweak to my day, but it probably would be better than me normally being like, get the whole way through it. And I try and like get it published before I go to lunch. Mm-hmm. So I think there's definitely ways we can incorporate some of the steps, but it's just, yeah, I don't think I'm doing all 17 anytime soon unless it's like, I would decide to write a book. <laughs> Another part that I really liked from this first section was the chapter is called, or the part, I guess the section of the chapter is called how to keep a daily writing ritual when you aren't feeling it. And this isn't what I expected it was going to be. It's basically a very simple framework for writing down your observations. Like if you want to put in the reps in terms of practicing writing, sometimes you might sit down and be like, I have no idea what to write about when it comes to practicing writing. So she shares this simple little grid. It's a four box grid that you can write down on a piece of paper that you can use to kind of prompt your thoughts in terms of noticing. So it's a it's adapted from someone who's a professor named Linda Berry. And it's a four square technique to give structure and inspiration and a bit of whimsy to a daily habit. So the boxes say at the top, it says today is, and then in one box, you write what you did in one box, you write what you saw in one box, you write what you heard. And then the last box, you draw something that relates to the day. And like, the point isn't that you're a good drawer, that it's like perfect. It's just like to kind of loosen up and have fun with it. So I really liked that um, kind of model as a way of prompting yourself to figure out what you can say if you're the kind of person who sits down and is like, I have no idea what to write. Yeah, I think I I thought, oh, this is an interesting thing. Never going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm definitely going to do it. Good. I look forward to your little picture. Oh, I'll share it. Yeah, good idea. There's another exercise in this first section. I think it's also worth exercise. noting there's a lot. This is a big section. Yeah. Like, this is a hunky chunky section. Um, hunky chunky. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. Like, there's a lot in it. I was like looking back through, and I just was like, actually, this probably in many ways, it like I think this was the bit I struggled the most to get through the book because it was so many things in the section. So like one of the things yeah. I read was like around the like set a goal based on word count, and I was like, not time. And again, I think that's like an interesting one for people who struggle to write and like know you need to write for your business. Is this different thing of being like? You know, people can sit there and be like, I've set a timer, I'm going to write for an hour 
And then they're like, I've not written anything. But actually, if you're like, I have to write something. And because she has such a robust editing process, it sort of doesn't matter the quality of what you write the first time. And I actually think that is good for people who struggle. Like, I definitely, yeah, I talk to people who like are trying to write that social perfect social media post so then they just do nothing <laughs> so I'm like actually yeah if you were like I have to write 250 words and you just force yourself to write it and then you're allowed to come back and then you're allowed to edit it and you're allowed to refine it whatever that's better than you sitting there thinking I'm going to send this out exactly the way I write it now and therefore I've written nothing mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really good point with the like qualifier that if you are going to do this, like first draft is she calls it the ugly first draft. I've seen it. Um, other writers call it like shitty first drafts, but like, if you're going to do that, there has to be an editing process involved. (laughs) So like, I think it's better to do it that way because it's going to get you moving, but yeah, you're going to probably need to go out and not get too attached to anything you wrote, be willing to slash things out, cut it out. Um, she says she actually has a Google doc where she stores things that she has cut out of what she's written that she likes, but like it just didn't fit or need to be there for whatever reason, which I really like that idea for like, okay, this is, this doesn't go here, but I'm not willing to get rid of it entirely. She like has a place to store all of that. Um, Another part that I just wanted to mention from this first section was her definition of high quality content. Um, She says high quality content is packed with clear utility, inspiration, and empathy for the audience. And just to define those elements, utility means it helps an audience. Readers will read what we write only if something is in it for them. Inspired means it's inspired by data or creatively inspired or both. And empathy means we understand the reader's point of view. Also, we make it easy to understand. We don't make the reader work too hard. We take as long as we need to to tell the story well. The length of the content should be dictated by the kind of content we're creating. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing to keep in mind. Like, even if you just had a post-it in front of you that said, utility inspired empathy for as kind of a framework for quality content. Okay. So part two of the book is called writing rules and it's grammar and usage. Um, and this book, this section of the book is actually, I really like this section of the book because I'm totally on board with a lot of what she's saying here. And I think overall it's about, writing like a human and using a word, using words that you actually would use. Um, Obviously when we're writing, we can clean things up. We can be more concise and to the point than we often are just off the cuff speaking out loud. But I think the point she makes is that usually people tend to go way too far in the other direction of making it overly formal and jargony and trying to sound smart and using big words. And that is not, compelling that's not easy to understand as the reader and it just doesn't connect so a lot of this section of the book is about like using real words and simplifying where you can I think one of the things in this section that really stuck with me is it's a quote that someone said and I'm butchering it but it's something along the lines of the simplest version is the strongest version and I thought that was a really good way of saying like don't overcomplicate if it can be said easier if it can be said with a shorter word with a more accessible word like choose that one because that's what's going to connect with people more effectively yeah absolutely now I have a little like 
warning for this section, which was quite funny because until I got to this one line in the book, it did not cross my mind. So in mm. this part of the book, she's talking about hyphens after adverbs. And then she has she has this little bracket that said, unless you're British, in which case you have your own ideas about the English language. And it made me realise, <laughs> oh my gosh, I've been reading all these grammar and usage rules that are written by an American, which means they might all be wrong. <laughs> they might all be wrong. Yeah. Because the fact that she brought up... The- Clearly, that's one where we differ. And that's the, tr- the truth is it's not like that many things that are different. But it was interesting because the fact that she like had this like sarky comment to Clover. be like, just made me think, oh my gosh, does that mean there's other things I've been reading and I have totally not paid attention to the fact that there's an American, not a British person, so they <laughs> could all be wrong. So that's just a little mm-hmm. flag for anyone who is reading from my side of the pond. Um, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> But um, the bit I particularly liked in this one was about grammar rules made to be broken, because I think this is definitely something that lots of people struggle with. And I think it's actually, it's like weird because the people that aren't, don't class themselves as good writers will feel like they probably spent more time trying to actually learn the grammar rules and like follow them and like something would have been drilled in. So then it feels like you definitely can't break it. And then the people that are really good at writing are like, well, this is the rule, so I'm not going to break it. So I feel like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what side of the table you are and where you feel about writing, to actually break grammar rules for most people just does feel wrong. But it actually makes your writing better. And I think for me, that had definitely been something that I've spent you know years now trying to be like, I know this is wrong, but it's fine, basically, when I'm mm-hmm. writing. And so I thought that chapter, and she gave some like really clear examples. And like the first one was like one I do all the time. This idea like never start a sentence with also and because, but also. And she's like, that's absolutely fine. And I start so many sentences. Yeah, it's okay and, to do that. Because, yeah. So it's like you were taught in school that it's wrong. But in terms of writing today, especially in terms of content, that's absolutely fine. So I found that helpful. Yeah. Not only is it fine, like it's better than the really fancy, quote unquote, fancier versions of those words. Like um, you could say in addition instead of also, but like that is not how we speak. That's not going to. I don't I know, write in addition resonate. all the time. What are you on about? <laughs> That's okay, actually how sorry. I speak. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, and if you're, hey, if you're listening and you actually do use that word and that fits naturally in your voice, I think that's fine. But for me, I wouldn't use that word. So if I were to try to write it into my written content, it just wouldn't be aligned with the way that my voice comes through. Um no, I do and actually write in my content a lot, but I've always written, because I've always written like that. I don't know how much I actually say it, but I'm like, I can deal with it. It's not the issue. The rest of me is quite informal, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it's just a matter, I mean, back to the point of like giving yourself a chance to do an edit of your work. If you go through and you read through what you've written and there are things that you notice could be made easier or simpler change them basically, Mm -hmm. um, is kind of the mindset to have. Another thing that was pointed out in this section was around the idea of cliches. And Mm. this is a big one for me because I notice myself using cliches all the time. Cliches in terms of like expressions, like take a 30,000 foot view or at the end of the day or where the rubber meets the road. 
I find myself using cliche expressions a lot. Something really interesting that I just, I pulled up her quote here is that cliches were fresh and original once and writers use them with the kind of out of control abandon of kids in a candy store to save time and production printers in 19th century France pre-assembled blocks of type for the most popular phrases. So the word cliche is believed to have come from the French verb cliche, um, an echo of the sound the blocks make when they strike metal. So like cliches were used so often in written words that like printer presses had the cliches like as independent, like as a whole block basically. Mm. And that just like reinforced to me like, okay, that's not, original that's not an original way to write and if I can find ways to say things in a more straightforward or more original fresh way like that will be stronger so that was one for me that like I felt a little bit called out by and definitely um I've got I'm thinking about afterwards um, I like the idea of those little tiles. I like really could imagine that printer press. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, it's cute. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. She's got a bunch of kind of swaps in this section too. So I would say overall, this section of the book is one, like you definitely want to have the book to go through this. Um, for example, there's a section 41 are ways that are like swaps. So for example, if you ever find yourself saying continues to be, change that to say remains. If you ever find yourself saying in order to change that to be just to. So there's a lot of like very specific um, examples to read through and kind of use. So I I would say like this book is definitely one worth picking up because we're not going to be able to get to like even a fraction of what's in here. No, there's another one where I thought it was really good to be able to see it was choosing active voice over passive voice. I, I know, mm-hmm. like, I get the little warning that says, you're using the passive voice. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually, like, really good to sit down and, like, see her examples of, like, how you turned it from um, a passive voice to an active voice. It's like, yeah, seeing it, I definitely think for this one, getting the book. If you do get the hardback, I'm not going to tell you, though, like, it is a hefty little book in your hands. <laughs> Don't fall asleep reading it. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's very meaty, but it's good stuff in my opinion. Um, Trying to think if there's other, no, I think that's kind of, that's kind of a good take on part two of the book. That's fabulous. Because part three was my favorite voice rules. I absolutely loved this chapter and it's all about like developing your brand voice um and just like how voice is different to tone and it's not like it's not particularly long but I just felt that until that point in the book I'll be honest I was struggling and then I was like oh my god this is beautiful like I just loved it (laughs) I loved it so much I think she just really this idea of like developing your own brand voice and I just want to find when she for defining your unit, she like asked you some questions which aren't from her Nelson Norman group talks about them. But this idea like, are you funny versus serious? Are you formal versus casual? Are you respectful versus irreverent? Are you enthusiastic versus matter of fact? And like even just like trying to answer those questions, then being like, okay, then this helps me understand like what my voice should be. And I think like voice is something that she uses quite extreme examples in 
the book to show you like companies that are really owning their voice. But I do mm. think it really helps to separate yourself. And if you are, if you actually do personally have like a distinctive voice and your brand is very connected, like your business brand is connected to that. Sometimes it can be hard to like actually break the two apart but I thought she actually gave you things to be like this is how to write down your brand voice so that then you not only can you stick to it but also if then you get someone else writing for you in the future you've got that to share mm-hmm. yeah I was gonna say that exact thing is that I think something that a lot of us struggle with is if we ever were to pass off some of the content creation we worry that other people won't be able to sound the way that we do or have the same vibe or tone or voice. So she had a really specific framework that you can use to actually like capture the elements of your voice in a way to be able to share that with other people so they can do it for you. There's a little matrix she shared that was like attribute. So like, what is a word that just, what is one of the main four words that describes your brand voice? That would be the attribute. Describe what that means. Give an example. So it's like this. So give an example of what that attribute sounds like in copy and not like this. Like it doesn't sound like this. And I thought, I don't know what page that's on because I'm on the digital version of this. But I thought that was a really useful framework that any of us could use to kind of get our brand voice down on paper so that A, we can use it and be consistent with it. But B, like you say, share it with others. So for anyone that has the book, for me, it's on page one eight eight, and yeah, it was it was really helpful. I think this this for me was like a real practical section that wasn't long, but just like actually like this is what you need to do and get it written down, get it in a way that you can refer back to it. And I liked her also just like a tiny bit of a mention at the end that was around voice doesn't change, tone does, and this idea like if you are like super chirpy tone normally and um, voice normally but you know there's actually like a reason like if you're customer service you don't want it's like you don't you need to know how to change your tone because no one wants to be angry and they've got someone so super chirpy or cheeky or humorous or whatever coming back to them but it's like you don't lose your essence and I think yeah for me I think this is probably the thing I see the most business owners struggling with, I think particularly small business owners, actually really developing their own brand voice. So I feel like this is definitely a chapter, especially because it's not big, to pay attention mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah. This brings us to part four, which is called Story Rules. And this part of the book is about basically using storytelling in marketing content. And she talks a tiny bit about how powerful stories are. We've talked about that in the book club quite a bit. Um, We read Story Brand. So go back and listen to that one if you would like. But stories are kind of a universal language that connect um, on an emotional level, kind of regardless of what kind of story it is, if it follows a certain path, like it connects with us. And this is why she uses the example of like staying up all night watching Netflix, even though that's really not a rational way to spend your time. We just get hooked. Um, So the engagement level that stories have make them a really useful thing for marketing. And so she shares the six characteristics of a marketing story that is compelling and useful for your business. So I'm not going to go into total detail, but I'll just kind of rattle off the six elements. First, it's true. This is really important. Like, don't make stuff up. Um, Second, it's human. 
Third, it's original and offers a new, fresh perspective. Four, I would say this is the most important, and she talks in a lot of detail about this. It makes your customer the hero. So when you're telling a story for your business, your business is not the hero. You are not the hero. You want your Mm -hmm. customer to be the hero. Um, Five, it makes people feel something. And six, it is aligned with your, your business strategy. So said another way, your brand positioning plus your unique value plus your marketing goals equals your true human-sized soul-stirring customer-as-hero stories. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I think we, as Laura mentioned, that customer being like the hero stuff, that's like all central to story brand so if you definitely if you haven't listened to that one it's definitely one to go listen back to because yeah it gave it was just giving me all the reminders of reading that book mm-hmm. yeah um another part in this section is your brand story tell the story only you can tell and kind of the the part that made me laugh about this was avoid messaging karaoke <laughs> and i think i'm gonna read like this sample description of a business and I think it'll probably make everyone laugh a little bit because it's such a copy paste formula. Um, Name is a full service certified public accounting practice located in city whose objective is to provide timely and accurate professional services. The firm was established in 2002. Name is a growing firm and has the capacity available to professionally service new accounts. So by avoid messaging karaoke, she means like, when you're writing your brand story, it is not like a fill in the blank type of thing. Mm -hmm. It is like a think about what your story actually is and write it just for you. Um, Rather than like your story, even if you took your business name out of it should not apply to like every other business basically. So I think getting really specific in the details of your story is important. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. If you can take the name out and it's still not obvious it's you, then that means it's not strong enough in the first place. So it's a good little check way for you to have a look at it. My favorite part of this book was about Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. I had absolutely no idea. So uh, the book talks all about how basically Rudolph was made up by a marketer in a company um, because they were going to be writing these stories that were given out to children after they visited Santa. And actually the person that did it was someone who wanted to be a writer and they were like sitting in a marketing department, not particularly like happy with it. And they wrote this story and, and they sold, they gave out over like 2.4 million copies that Christmas and it like blew up in a way. So that over the years, in in the end, the marketer got to like, get it back like the company sold it back to him so that then he could sell it and the story's like lived on and then she what she does is then actually like break down exactly why that story is so powerful and how the like elements of that story you can use it so she calls it the Rudolph framework and there's like eight parts to it but I just was like amazed to think that actually like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ninja was just made up for marketing (laughs) yeah same I thought it was like a you know, a folk tale, but it is made up by a marketer. Part five of the book is publishing rules. And this one to, for me got a little bit too much like either big business slash I felt like I was meant to be a journalist, like in a newsroom 
And I'm feeling is that where Anne started her career. So it really has that tone of voice. And I was like struggling with it, I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. did, she, did she work in a newsroom? Have I made that up? Was she a journalist originally? I think she started as a journalist, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's some things that she like really, some things that she goes on about that actually are really important though, like stuff to do like fact checking and really making sure you are crediting your sources and like what is copyright infringement? Like what is able, like that type of stuff. And she's clearly very passionate because lots of people have stolen her work that you should really be making sure you absolutely check where the contents come from. Do not rip off other people's content. If you are create curating content, sorry, then actually you need to think about, this isn't just about you pulling X, Y, and Z together. What's your idea? If you're not adding more than the things that you're like copying, then that's not curating because you're not actually adding your spin, your take, your point of view. Yeah, I think I agree. A lot of this was most relevant to probably bigger businesses, but the one part I would say that I thought was really important was the last section or one of the last sections. Should you speak out on social issues or causes? And the data says yes. So consumers want businesses to play a larger role in economic inequality, workforce reskilling, racial injustice. But the important part she makes is that this can't just be a marketing thing. Like you can't just post like happy international women's day and then not actually do anything about that. A, because you'll be called out, but B, just because that's not the right thing to do. So the takeaway that I had was like, yes, it is good to speak up on what you believe in. But it's more important that you're actually doing things about what you believe in. So I thought that was a really important point is to don't be performative in terms of your allyship with causes. Don't just use it for a marketing thing so that it looks like you care if you're not actually backing your words up with actions. So I thought that was a really important point. Um, And then there are some good interview tips also in this section, which I will be taking note on for my (laughs) podcast, but I'm not sure that's relevant to everyone, but anyone who does any kind of interviewing in your marketing, I think there's some great stuff there. Yeah. The interview tips were good. I forgot about that because I don't really interview people anymore, but she was quite thorough. And again, it came, that showed me that she'd interviewed in the past. I think that's why I just got this very like strong feeling of a journalism past because actually those tips were really good, but you could tell that was because she's got like a robust interviewing background. Yeah. Okay. So part six, the final part is really the super, super practical tactical part of the book, I would say. And it's called 20 Things Marketers Write. And she really just talks a little bit about a lot of different types of content you might find yourself at writing. We're not going to go through everything in this (laughs) section, but a couple of things that I thought were particularly worth talking about. One is she has a section called the new ideal length for every piece of content. And the key takeaway here is that the length of any piece of content should be dictated by what you have to say. (laughs) Essentially you, there's no like a perfect number of blog words in a blog article. There's no perfect length of a podcast. We shouldn't be trying to force what we have to say (laughs) into a number of words or a minute count on a podcast episode, for example, like say what you have to say, say what matters. And that's how long it should be. And Search engines like Google is getting smarter about recognizing what is quality content. So 
it is going to reward content that is how long it should be, not stuff to be longer so that it can like rank in a certain way. Um, so in general, if you ever find yourself wondering like, how long should this be? Or this blog post, just, this blog post is too short or too long. Um, there's no right way to write a caption, a blog post, anything. It should be as long as it needs to be. And there are, you know, short things work really well. Long things work really well. It just depends what it is. I think a specific example she gave about length was if you are sending an email, for example, where the main thing, the main point of the email is to go get someone to click something, that's a better use case for a short email. Mm -hmm. If the main point of the email is to like nurture and develop a relationship and connect, that's a better use case for a longer email. So it really does depend on the intention behind the kind of content you're creating. She describes email marketing as the Rocky Balboa of marketing. So the Rocky from the films, um, like the underdog, basically, which I love because I agree. Everyone is always all on social media. I know. Social media is great. But email is... Email is the best. It's the best. <laughs> it has the highest ROI. She's like, we've talked about that here on this podcast. I'm sure we've talked about it on the book club. I know we're both all about email. And mm. like there's data to back it up, which is in the book. She says for every $1 invested in email, there's the potential for a $38 return, which is something that you don't get with social media. So she, she talks quite a bit about email. There's some great, really practical tips. She talks about headlines and how important headlines, subject lines, things like that are. There's some tips for that. And she also offers some tools that you can go look at to help you generate ideas. So in this section, there's a lot of different, really practical guides, mini guides, I would say. So tips on writing headlines, writing infographics, writing for video, writing for social media, writing image captions, writing with hashtags. Um, she talks quite a bit about LinkedIn too. I know that that's definitely a major platform for her and for most B2B businesses. Um, I think there's potential for B2C or like a lot of the businesses who listen to this podcast sell products directly to consumers. So I think there's potential for us on LinkedIn, but it, I would say what she shares is probably more geared for service providers. Another part of this sort of tactical 20 types of marketing content section that I liked is about landing pages. Um, for example, if you have a lead magnet, like a free download or um, you know something that you're trading in exchange for an email address, she really makes a strong point for making that short. The shorter, the better. Um, people aren't invested with you enough at that point to like go read through a multi-page long sales page for a free item. I've personally experienced this where I've like wanted to download something and then I got to the download page and it was like, oh my gosh, I have to read like three pages of content. Like I don't care enough and I, I leave. So if you are doing a landing page for a lead magnet of some kind, she makes a great case for why that should be as short, snappy to the point as possible. Yeah, I think this part is another part of the book that's really going to be best for, um, you know, going through in the particular context that you need. So if you need to be writing on LinkedIn, like go look at that section. If you need to be writing, um, an infographic, there's some great tips there, but it is not something we have time to like fully go through here on yeah. this episode. 
And then right at the end, she shares like her best different types of content tools. Um, and I think obviously we're always bombarded with tools. So, but it's also good to like get the recommendations because sometimes you just don't know. So there's a range of tools from like ones to be using for research and knowledge management. There are writing tools. Um, there are productivity tools. Work editing tools. That's like that's what I talked about earlier about how I use Grammarly and um, which I know is a popular one. It's a top one she recommended. Um, readability tools, non-text writing tools. Like there are just basically so many tools that are available for us now. And because the breadth of content we're creating is becoming wider and wider. Um, here, if you're someone that's like, probably thinks that right now there's you're missing out on some stuff. This is a great way just to like check through her recommendations and see if anything might be worth you giving a go. Yeah, there are a ton of recommendations in here, a lot of which like even personally as a bit of a tool connoisseur, like I love trying out tools. There's a ton in here that I've never heard of. So I have a little bit of like a kid in the candy shop feeling right now about like, oh, I want to go see all of this stuff. So if you're like that, I would just encourage you to like, don't go down a million rabbit holes about it. Just go check it out. Like, don't try to implement 500 new tools at once. Like. my rule Speaking is always experience. my rule is always like if you've got a tool for that thing so like my things like I use Grammarly and I'm fine so I don't need to go and try and Hemingway or the other one but maybe there's like there's like the headline tool is not something I've never used one regularly even though I know lots of other people do so it's like if yeah. you're using something and it feels good enough don't worry about that <laughs> yeah yeah because you can spend so long trying to find one that's like five percent better but it's not worth your time Totally agree. Yeah. A lot of these probably all do the same thing ultimately. And the most important thing with any tool is that you actually use it. So if you find yourself (laughs) using a tool already, like you're good. (laughs) If it's working, just stick with it. Okay. So we have done a, again, I feel like this book almost maybe more than most other books we've talked about. We, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. It's so There's so much detail in it, I guess, is what I would say. So I really, my overall kind of take on this book is it's totally worth a read for anyone listening to this podcast who does any kind of marketing writing, which most likely you do, whether you're kind of thinking it that way or not. So, and I would say it's one worth buying physically, even if you don't read the whole book, like right now to have, like you said, even like we just said, those 20 different things that marketing write at the end is like when you're actually going to write a sales page or when you're going to write your next newsletter you can just read that section it's definitely one where I think being able to just sit and flick through it is really helpful yeah yeah I definitely want to buy it having just read it on like kindle and I'm trying to scroll through it as we're having this conversation I'm like it's big like it is a lot so um I'm gonna buy it myself for sure yeah. What would be one key takeaway you would have on this book to share with our listeners? Trying to be as human and as you as possible is what I think. I think this idea of like the more personality you put into writing, the more you like write as a human rather than like some someone that follows all the grammar rules and so or someone that like is an AI computer tool or whatever. I think that's the, like the beauty of it. Cause really, and she says like, even when you're marketing to businesses, like we're all marketing to people, it's like human to human. So the more human, the more you, you can make your writing, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I think mine actually is similar. And that is about simplifying to the extent that you can. Like if you ever write something and you read through the sentence and you're like, I could make this easier. I could switch these words for more clear, direct words. Do that because it it makes things stronger. Like the quote I think I mentioned before is something about how the simplest version is the strongest. And that really stuck with me. So make things simple and clear. But I think read the whole book because it's really, really good. And there's just a lot in it. What are we doing next month? We are doing The Go-Giver. Can you tell everyone who that's by, Lauren? I forgot who's by. Yes, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And the subtitle is a little story about a powerful business idea. And to be honest... I don't know a ton about this book yet, except that it's been recommended to me a lot. It's been recommended on this podcast, in fact, by several people I've interviewed. My impression is that it's about just kind of taking an approach of generosity to your business. But that is actually just kind of the impression I have. I'm not totally sure. So I'm really excited to read it. I'm excited to read it too as well because I've never read it. Um, I have ordered it. It has arrived, but it's a book I have, again, like you, other people have recommended it. I like recognize the picture straight away, but it's not one I've ever read. So I'll be intrigued to see what it's all about. Yay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sherelle, for having another one of these conversations with me. I always love our chats and um, I'm really glad we picked this book and I'm really glad to also have a shorter book next month. So thank you for doing this with me. I'm very excited to have a slightly shorter book next month, but um, (laughs) I did enjoy reading Everyone Reads. So thank you very much for recommending it. And thanks for having me back. Okay, so there you have our book club episode about Everybody Writes. I took so many notes as I read this book, and I really hope that you got something valuable out of this discussion. I know Sherelle and I would both love to hear from you. You can DM us on Instagram and let us know your thoughts. We would love to chat. I'm at Lauren Tilden and Sherelle is at Sherelle Griffith. You can find details from the podcast on the show notes page at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 157. Now, as you heard, we have announced our book for next month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and that is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. Told in the format of a story, this Wall Street Journal bestseller is both an inspirational book and a business book, and I am so looking forward to it. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can get back to making good. First, I'd be honored if you'd leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player, and don't forget to subscribe and follow. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, you can send them the link. This episode is at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 157. And finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening to the episode and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden and Sherelle at Sherelle Griffith. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.